A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. My name's David Savage and I have an as yet undiagnosed liver condition. I also happen to really like running very long distances. As a consequence, I wanted to find other people who had health conditions but also loved sport. And the Chronically Fit Show is what happened. Has fallen away And in those times A shadowy hills to climb Hold out your hand to mine on today's show, our guest is Alex Flynn, and to introduce the podcast, I'm just going to read a couple of lines off his website. Since June 2008, I have thought and questioned who I am, where I'm going, and what I really want out of life. However, as far as Parkinson's disease is concerned, I'm determined to make change happen. That neatly encapsulates what Alex has done in the just over a decade now since he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, where he has cycled, ran and pushed himself as far as you might imagine to raise money and raise awareness. And today, he's our guest. So today, I'm talking to Alex Flynn. Alex, thank you for taking the time to chat to us. It's getting on on a Tuesday evening in lockdown. So I suppose you can't go anywhere else, but nonetheless, thank you for giving time up. Not a problem, David. Glad to be here. Uh, look, um, you are someone who has got Parkinson's yeah. and despite that diagnosis has gone on to have a series of adventures and raised a colossal amount of money. So I am really thrilled to talk to you because the whole point behind this show uh, at, its, at its conception was saying, hey, just because you've got a diagnosis doesn't mean that you can't have adventures and, and do exciting new things. Um, your, when did you get your diagnosis for Parkinson's? 12th of June, 2008. And if you don't mind me asking, how, how old were you at that point? I was 36 and I was fitter than a butcher's dog. Yeah, I would, I would ride 50 miles a day, every day, run three half marathons a week, the odd marathon the weekends and gym work on top of that, as well as work and be dad and husband at the time and everything else. And you know, you don't expect at 36 to just have your finger do its own fandango jazz moves on its own without your control. And you're thinking, what the hell's that? And then six months later, you're told by some neurologist that you've got Parkinson's. And the way that they do it is they say, you got Parkinson's. There's nothing we can do about it. It has no cure. We'll see you down our patients. Thanks for coming. You mentioned there that your finger starts doing fandango. Was it was it as what is was it as straightforward as that? You just started to notice that something wasn't right. I went to pick up a coffee cup, mm-hmm. and my little finger shook, and I tried to stop my little finger shaking, and it wouldn't stop. And I thought, 
I'm not doing that. That's not right. My finger should do as I tell it to. Mm. And one thing led to another, and I went to see my 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 GP, who was a man who liked good beer and had you know round spectacle glasses and tweed suits, and he looked at me and said, "Remember that duathlon you came off the bike and you separated the shoulders?" Yes, I do, and and broke my entire rib cage and punctured both my lungs and had to get airlifted to hospital. And he said, "Exactly, you've probably done some nerve damage. You need to see a neurologist." So when I saw a tremor specialist who rocked up in a Ferrari and I had a private, I, luckily I had private medical insurance at the time. And he said, after an MRI of my head, you've got a lovely brain, but it could be Wilson's or it could be, which is a buildup of copper in the body, or it could be Parkinson's. Mm. So I went to, went to see an optometrist and he told me I had beautiful eyes which was rather charming <laughs> and disarming at the same time. And that's when I knew. The DAT scan thereafter was just merely lip service to a diagnosis that I already was cognizant of. So, yeah, it was, um, it was pretty bleak at that point. Yeah. Look, if we, if we come back to that point in a moment, because I think – I think it'd be good to understand your relationship with sport before we kind of then get into how you tackled that diagnosis and how it made you feel. I mean, you mentioned there that at the time you were riding 50 miles a week, you were running three half marathons. 50 miles a day. 50 miles a day, sorry. Three half marathons a week and a marathon. 250 miles a week on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. I don't don't cycle very often. I run more. (laughs) I tend to get obsessive about sport. Where did that come from? Was that was that from an early stage? I have three brothers. I was always competitive. I'm the youngest, and they were a lot older than me. And I was always trying to do my best. And I guess that when I get my interest in something, I like to take it as far as I can go. So I've not got an obsessive compulsive disorder, but I've got an, I've got a desire when it comes to sport to be as good as I can possibly be at the time. Mm. You know, obviously that's uh, diminishing returns on Parkinson's because I don't run as fast as I used to or sometimes not at all, depending upon whether or not my medication works that day. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I used to do judo when I was a kid and I took that up to Southern, County, Southern England County's um, junior championships. And I went back when my kids were young and they were, they were, I took them down the dojo and they were, you know, to try and get out some aggression and energy that they had. And they were trying to do Osotogari. And I said, they weren't getting it right. So I, so, so I stepped onto the mat and showed them this technique and the, the sensei came up and said, you've done this before, haven't you, mate? I said, no, 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 no. He said, no, you've done this before. And I was having my shaking hands and I said, yeah, I did a bit. He said, you should get back on the mat. And then two weeks later, I walked out with a white belt. I've got a brown belt now. Amazing. But I don't know if I'll get around to getting a black belt. That would be nice to have, but it's not essential. So that that compulsion to compete came from 
from competing with your brothers, but what brothers, friends. I, I used to be the kid at school that used to bait the other lads. So they run after you and then you just run just slightly ahead of them. And just <laughs> running and running and running and running and running until they were absolutely dead on their feet. And then you just stand there and go, ha 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 and then run off. And I was that was that I was that annoying kid. But it was what self-satisfaction, seeing how far you could push yourself. Yeah. And it's since the diagnosis that it's taken on different significance. Or had you always done charity work and and that this just gave it renewed significance and and, and understanding why? I did charity work when I was a kid for the usual things, muscular dystrophy. And um, I ran my first marathon in 2006, 2005. Mm -hmm. London Marathon for cancer. Um, and a family friend had leukemia and, and died of it very, very quickly. And I felt obliged to run the London Marathon for him. And I met my friend, another friend called Quentin. Uh, I seem to know quite a few Quentins. And <laughs> Quentin Somerset, and he's a great runner. And he and I got on like a house on fire, and we just ran the race together. And I remember sprinting to the end of the, the marathon, getting across the line and thinking, that is as far as I'm ever going to run. <laughs> and then I ran the Dublin Marathon, which was absolutely hilarious. There was this this commentator, and we're all milling around the, the start. And this guy's going, and there's Mary Dooley, and she's with her brother Jack, and it's fantastic, and it's wonderful to see Mary Dooley here. Is everyone having a great time? Is Mary Dooley having a great time? What, what do you mean to, to go? Go. What do you mean go? Go. Holy shit, go. You know? <laughs> Everybody's standing around going, are we supposed to run? <laughs> yeah. And... Yeah, it was great. It was really, really, really great. And my friend Tom turned around and said, I'll see you at the finish. And he finished it in two hours 20 because he's like that. And we got back in and I, I said, we'll do a meet another marathon. And I think it got to around about 97, two, no, 2007. And I would, I'd, I'd done a few races since. And I was late at work and I said to myself, I'm bored. So I phoned Quentin and I said, I'm bored. He said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to do something. He said, let's do a marathon. I said, we'll do marathons. They're all the same, same distance. So, so what do you propose? I said, let's do the marathon to sub. He said, you're nuts. I said, yeah, I'm crazy. And that makes it an adventure and that makes it fun. I can relate to that. I can relate to that with my, with my and friends then, and the way that we've got into it. So yeah. yeah. So, you know, you know, that kind of, Let's see how far we can go. Or let's let's run something that sounds a bit silly. Yeah, exactly. And I we'd 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 booked our places and then I get diagnosed. And the thought came through my head was at the time I was in a really dark place mentally and I was at my lowest point physically. And I doubted myself immensely. And I thought to myself when looking at my kids after a couple of months of being the most grumbly, grouchy guy on the planet, what am I doing? Because if I don't help myself, I can't help my family. And if I can't help them, I can't help others. So I need to get my shit together. 
and run the race. So if we pause for just a second, I mean, you mentioned there about how you felt when you got that diagnosis. Did you, did you question, did you, did you just kind of, did, did the idea of doing the MDS or anything else just fall away for a period of time? Or was it a case of yeah, nothing questioning left. whether, it wasn't even a case of questioning whether you could, you just didn't want to? No, it wasn't that I didn't want to, nothing mattered. Right. I became none, numb and just withdrew into myself. And it was like getting to the bottom of an abyss. And this depression really hit home hard. Mentally, I was struggling. And I was having to go to work every day. I don't remember driving to work. I don't remember the work I did, but I did my work. And I went out at the end of the day and people didn't realize what was going on with me. You know? And I'd get home and I'd be automatic. And I'd lie awake at night thinking, what the hell am I going to do? How is this going to affect my family? How's this going to affect my kids? You know? Was was there a specific trigger for you going, I need to get my shit together? After that, you know, after that, you said that, what, a couple of months of really hitting rock bottom. Yeah. My, my kids kept coming up to me saying, are you okay, dad? And we love you. And are you okay? Because you just seem really, really bad mood. And I hadn't told them that I had the disease at that point. Mm. And it was their, their need of me that turned me around. But it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a simple bounce back. It was a long, crawling struggle to get back to where I was feeling more upbeat and confident about where I was meant to be and how I was meant to be doing what I was doing. And, you know, and I remember standing at the, the, I remember going on doing a trial. Um, our first ultra was the country to capital 45. And I didn't even think I would make the end of 45 miles. I was thinking, this is nuts. And we're going to do the marathon to sub. This is crazy. Let's have fun. So I started running. And it took just over 10 hours. And lots of fruitcake. <laughs> and I made it. My backpack had cut my back to pieces. I was had a, a bloody mess all down the back of my 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 running running shorts were just soaked in blood, and I was covered in mud and animal crap and everything else, and I just loved it. It was horizontal rain. It was freezing. It was cold. It was wet. It was icy. It was brilliant. Is it? Do you think there's something that after such a, an experience where you said you felt numb? that that extreme environment just gave you that factor of feeling alive and connected and doing something. Yeah. Because I, I think I should need to explain what Parkinson's is. Parkinson's is rigidity. It's about losing your ability to do everything that most people take for granted. Hmm. You know, stand up and pee, have sex. Haven't got there yet, but... Hmm. Um, write, speak properly, think clearly, 
and yeah, it can lead to dementia. And to be able to do something bigger than you think possible at that moment in time and overcome the obstacles and hurdles that come in your way is empowering. It's freedom giving. It's like a breath of fresh air, you know? And hopefully I'll be able to continue that for another couple of years. Then I'll do something else. Did people advise against it? Did people say, oh, you shouldn't do this with a condition, you should be looking after yourself, or this is too much exertion? Or did you find that people were supportive and said, no, if this, if this makes you feel better, regardless of any kind of, I don't know, medical advice or whatnot, do it? My, my doctor said, by all means, go out and give it a go. Yeah. My family wanted to cotton wool me. And I thought to myself that if I don't use it and if I don't move and I don't run and I don't jump and I don't swim and I don't climb and I kayak and ride a bike and go bananas, I'm going to lose my ability to move. And I'm damned if that thing's going to take me without a fight. And I think that 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 has saved me from deteriorating faster than I have done. Look, you've you've turned this awful diagnosis round to something incredibly positive in many regards. You you set yourself a challenge. Um, your website describes it as um, climbing. Let me get this right. Uh, climbing a distance of 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 ten million meters. Um, yeah. In any which way you can, which you which you did by January 2014, is that right? I ran, Run cycled, walked, walked I self-propelled myself through 10,000 kilometres of races around the planet and some of the more interesting places like the Amazon, yeah, Olmites in Italy, Colorado, Rockies. Ran 1,000, well, did my best to run 1,457 miles from London to Rome via Brussels and Paris in 30 days. Did the first 400 miles with a stress fractured right tibia, which was just immensely painful. Um, I had to get on a bike and finish off the Alps on with a, with the with still with the knackered leg um, on the heaviest mountain bike in the world, and rode into Rome. Met the Pope, got blessed by the Pope, um, which was bizarre. I got knocked for six by an irate nun, four foot high and built like steel. And out of interest, which, which Pope? Benedict. Right, okay. He yeah, he was he, he literally came out like a rock star, you know, hands to the sides going, <laughs> hey, and all these nuns just went nuts. <laughs> I'm standing there with my brother, and everybody's got a song, and everybody's name's being called out by these cardinals. And apparently the cardinal called out my name. And my brother goes, Your name's just been called out. And I went, Here. <laughs> you know. So um, you know, that was good. That was an adventure with Dave Saunders and Dave Clamp, John Saunders and Dave Clamp, and Sam Clamp and Paul Grindrod, who Dave, John, Paul, and Dave, and that were my support crew. Um, you can see my my medication's kicking in, with my hand just starts to wave around and make my head shake, <laughs> You're like a naughty dog. Um, 
I then did America in 2012, which was 3,256 miles in 35 days using four different disciplines. When you say you did America, coast to coast or sorry, just to... Started off in Santa Monica Pier, ride 233 miles to Mount Whitney, climb Mount Whitney by the Mountaineers route, run down the mountain, or stagger down the mountain more likely because <laughs> the mountain in a day, um, run the whole of Death Valley, cycle from Death Valley to Las Vegas, from Las Vegas cycle across the United States to Toledo, Ohio, Kayak Lake Erie, the 15th largest lake in the world until weather cuts me down. Cycled to Buffalo and up to Toronto to see the better sides of the – the Canadians have got the better side of the, 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 the Niagara Falls. They really do. Um, America got the bad end of the deal on the border side of that thing. But there you go. Um, I'm really, 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 really shaking. Oh, my gosh. Um, and then I rode to New York, crossed the George Washington Bridge, got to the Columbus Circle, dumped my bike, ran down Broadway to finish. I was going to swim to the Statue of Liberty, and the the the, the Coast Guard said we'll withhold shipping. The local NYPD department said you can get into the water off Manhattan Island. The Park Service said. If you come off the within the boundary of the island of Liberty Island, or you get uh, you get off onto the island, we will arrest you for being a terrorist. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, I was absolutely shattered. So, quite frankly, I mean, <laughs> that, was a, that was a close shave. Got out of that one. To be perfectly honest, after everything everything you'd done, I mean, that's that seems like a a small. But no, that is that is truly incredible. And look, your adventures have led to Sir Ranulph Fiennes describing you as seriously hard. And in the process, you've raised a colossal amount of money for research into Parkinson's. I've raised a bit. I've raised a bit. I've raised over half a million dollars worldwide, both that's a lot, and indirectly. And and I've been party to raising money uh, out of that and. I'm I'm pleased, but I'm still hungry for people to donate to Parkinson's UK in the UK or any Parkinson's charity because we need research. There are 10 million people worldwide roughly with the disease and the youngest was a two-year-old boy. Now, you know, something you wonder why I run with a busted leg because there are people like that out there and what kind of life is that kid going to have? There yep. needs to be better treatments. I don't think we'll find a cure in my lifetime. I am hopeful, but I'll be, I'll be blunt. I will run through brick walls to make that kid's life better. Any kid's life better. Look, the purpose of this show is people finding solace, maybe comfort, just sheer pure enjoyment in sport despite having a chronic illness obviously you were very fit before your diagnosis but if there is someone listening or in the future someone gets this diagnosis and they stumble across this what would you say to them around advice or something that you could tell them that can help them deal with it and maybe find that that positive 
motivation that, that you've been able to discover? Live your dreams. Live your dreams and keep moving. Whatever you do, keep moving. Move every day. Celebrate the fact and enjoy the movement that you have. And if that means running a marathon or an ultramarathon, great. If that means you just getting across your living room and being able to put your shoes on, fantastic. Hmm. But keep moving and don't let it wear you down. Lastly, what adventures next? What, what's, what's uh, you know, you mentioned there that you, you've hopefully got a few more years and then after that you'll find something else, but I can't imagine you're not planning something. I have had more offers in the past two weeks of things to do than I can shake a stick at. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've been asked if I wanted to do the world champion and world champs of the OCR games in Moscow, near Moscow, which is really, really wonderful. I don't know if I'll complete the course, but I'll give it a go. Um, I've got some business with Racing the Planet to do to run across the Namib Skeleton Coast for 150 miles. They'd like me to do the Atacama Desert, the Gobi Desert, the Georgia, across the Georgia Caucasus, and the Antarctic, but I need to get the money and sponsorship together to do those ones. Um, I've set my sights on going up rather than going long mainly and that's my main main thrust so hopefully if i can get the finance and sponsorship together i'd like to climb mont blanc mont mirror peak mount himlung with the view of putting parkinson's on top of the world and summiting everest in the following year incredible oh look i never actually asked did you do mds yeah i went back after the first year i was pulled out of the race um because i had a heart infection after getting lost in the Sahara on my own, which was... <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't laugh, but it is kind yeah, of it is, incredible. It's, it's, it's just bizarre. I'm running along and... The, the, we, we 2009 was a huge storm, biggest in 12 years in the Sahara Desert. And it washed away roads, cars, houses, trucks, you name it. You know, everybody had to be evacuated off the, the, uh, off the bivouac and put up for a couple of days and they rerouted the course to this four-day course and there were no more markers course markers there was this guy who comes up here's your map monsieur and you got this scroll of map and his compass bearing and the rest of it and say go go do and you're thinking i'm thinking i'm a bit gonna get a bit lost on this so on the third day i kind of on the longest day start i pass out at the start line, not realizing that I had a heart infection of viral pericarditis. Some of pericardium was squeezing my heart and I passed out and I woke up about 45 minutes later with Patrick, uh, Patrick Bauer, the, the, I think I got his name right. The president of world, the, the, the MDS standing over me with these mirror aviators on going, are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. He said, six bags of saline and a bag of glucose. Are you okay? I said, I'm okay. He said, good. What do you want to do? I said, I'm going to finish this fucking race. And he said, okay, these medics will go with you. I said, that's great. They said, we will go with you. Allez-y. I'm 
they shot off in their car into the middle of the desert, and I'm running after the car that's gone a lot faster than me, and I'm going through this scrub bush and everything else and work through, through camel grass and everything else, and I'm suddenly thinking there's bound to be a little red spray dot around here that says that that's the right way to go, but I haven't seen one yet. I'll find one. I'll just keep going in the same direction. Big mistake. I ended up on the top of this volcanic mound and looked around me and I thought, oh, bananas, I am really stuffed. I had a litre and a half of water and all the dry food in the world. And I was lost. And I thought, if I stay here, I am going to die. And it's that moment where you've got that boiling fear in the bottom of your stomach wanting you to be sick. And the rationale that comes through from your brain is, if you're sick, you're going to lose more liquid that you vitally need at this moment in time. So don't be sick. And you're thinking, I can't be sick. Don't be sick. I know. I'll check my, 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 my surroundings again. Looked up and I said I could do with some help. And I did turned about 360 degrees. There was nothing there. I did a second turn. 270 degrees was a Bourbon, a rusty, crappy putch step through who saved my life. And the rest of that story is in my book, which I hope to get published. And it's worth the read. <laughs> um, it's available online, self-published? No. I wanna, no, okay. I want to try and get it published, published. Fine. Well, Look, we'll see. It, I can understand why you were described as being seriously hard. I really appreciate you giving up some time and telling us a bit about your story uh, and obviously the, the work that you're doing to raise money for Parkinson's. Um, good luck for the next adventure, whichever you choose. And yes, again, okay. really appreciate you giving up some time. Really appreciate that. Take care and keep moving. Once again, I'm joined by Marla. Thanks for, for taking the time. Um, obviously, we've just listened to the interview with Alex. Um, Look, I often throw these rare diseases at you and you go, well, I don't really know a huge amount about that one, actually, about Pompeii or GBS. Uh, and I feel a bit mean. But Parkinson's is a bit more, I don't want to say mainstream, that's the wrong kind of language I feel, but it is better known, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that with Parkinson's, and especially something he talks about, is that because of because people can see it maybe in your movements, mm. um, people potentially can can kind of understand it a bit more as well more than the invisible illnesses that we've talked about previously i don't know whether you picked up on it but in the interview he, he did mention that his his shake was more mm -hmm. visible towards the end and it really you know obviously this is a podcast so people don't have the benefit of seeing but it was visible it was exactly what you expect to see and yet Here's this guy who's doing absolutely incredible feats of endurance, like running the marathon to Sable. Well, what's his? What was his quote? Live your dreams and keep moving, right? Like that has a concept, as a like a mission and an ethos is so inspiring. And as you're saying, to to be able to, yeah, okay, my body's functioning this way. But this is what I'm going to push it to be. Hmm. I think that. I mean, that that message is just brilliant because it doesn't matter what status your body's in, but you can push it to really be the best it can be. Look, a lot of the of the illnesses or diseases that we've talked about have are not degenerative per se, or they can be managed. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Parkinson's is a de- degenerative disease that is going to, at some point, get to the point where it's debilitating. Um, and Alex kind of touches on that. He, obviously, he doesn't dwell on it too much, but he touches on it. Um, how important or effective do you think the physical activity and I know he takes it to an extreme, but, but what kind of effect do you think? I mean, is, is there, is there medical science to back up what that might do? Like, I don't personally know the, you know, the ins and outs of all these disease and the research, but what I do know is that this is, this really needs research, like with Parkinson's in general and, you know, Elon Musk and everything that they're doing over, <laughs> over in the US, but I really think it does. And, if it works for people to be exercising and and they're feeling these improvements, that's real. And no matter Mm -hmm. what the research says, no matter what has been done or what hasn't been done, and I'm sure there's loads of studies that have been done on the value of of physical activity in Parkinson's. I just haven't read them yet. But I'm sure that whatever it is, really fundamentally, and we've talked about this so many times on the podcast, you know your body best. Mm. and regardless of what you're hearing what you're what you're what you're seeing from your scan results what you're seeing on your blood test you know fundamentally how your body is and and if exercise is working for you as you say whether or not it's walking in the living room or or going and doing a marathon that is what is so important and will keep you psychologically motivated as well it's interesting isn't it that you say that because you know with bruce he was advised not to exercise but he's confounded medical advice and, and it's working. And it's, I suppose there is that, that, that word, their advice mm-hmm. with a lot of these things. We don't know exactly how the body works a lot of the time. I mean, um, I know that uh, new discoveries are being made all the time and we're kind of constantly pushing those boundaries, but doctors have a limit of their knowledge. And and I suppose that's why I started this podcast because, because my doctor wasn't exactly sure how to answer some of my questions. And Medical professionals are um, wonderful and well-meaning and try and help their patients as much as they can. But you're right. You know your own body. And if it works mm-hmm. for you, then it's not necessarily a case of just doing what you're told. And it's, it's you're so right because some of the questions I used to get when I was working clinically, right? They, you'd give someone, well, I wouldn't give the diagnosis, someone more senior would, but you'd give the diagnosis. And then the next question would be something that would absolutely baffle you, but it's to do with their value. So it'd be like, so when can I go swimming again? And you're like, in your head, you're like, oh, well, no one taught me at med school when exactly you can go swimming again. But that's what's really important to the patient. Or it's like, okay, does that mean I can eat this as normal? And maybe you haven't learned at medical school again what the pros and cons of different diet is. But that's what's important to them. And so there's a real disconnect between what we get taught at medical school to teach patients to talk to patients about and this is improving um and what patients ask for and doctors have to err on the side of caution right mm-hmm. i mean because mm-hmm. you can't you, you might have someone who's like no no i i, I feel i can do this the doctors obviously you know the and this is not the cynic at all, but the, you know you have to guard against malpractice suits and whatever else so you have to go no like worst case risk 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 averse let's make sure that we are we are not giving the wrong advice so we'll we'll err on the side of caution but like you say um if someone if someone is a keen swimmer and they know in themselves that 
the medical advice might be to rest for seven days, but they feel okay after five days, they, they probably will be fine. Yeah. Is it, well, it's the same thing as that. Why is it that we have so um, so much antibiotic resistance, right? And I know this is it's a tiny bit off topic, but I still remember a, a lecture that we got at medical school and they said, who here has not completed a course of antibiotics? And the majority of the lecture theatre, but remind, remember that they are medical students, put their hands up. Now, if we can't get the medics to finish a course of antibiotics and listen to the advice, which is very clearly documented, how do we expect the patients to? And so instead of just telling what we think, you know, this is what you should do, this is how you do it, blah, 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 we should be explaining why. What are the mechanisms around it? Mm. How how can we integrate this into your life? How can we embed this into stuff that is really valuable to you? Why, you know, even on the topic of antibiotics, like, why is it important in for you in the long term that you take the antibiotics to the end of the course? And it's mm. just saying it, right? Well, we all know, but someone actually sitting down and explaining to you why you will personally benefit from this. That's what we miss sometimes, that personal connection and that that connect between your diagnosis, your condition and who you are, which I think this podcast is really bridging. I love being a part of it. <laughs> it shows their stories behind the diagnoses, right? Yeah, absolutely. And look, talking about stories, I think Alex is an amazing storyteller. Mm-hmm. The way he can, the way he holds attention at the end there, that talking ending. about... Um, you know, nearly getting lost in the desert and, you know, let's go. And that attitude of kind of let's go seems to be very um, deeply rooted in him now. You know, he he had those that moment of, of real mental kind of a, a low point. He went into a into a bit of a into a bit of a pit, but he he fought his way out of that. And ever since it just seems to be no, let's go, let's go, let, you know, not going to waste time, not going to sit back, not going to, mm-hmm. not going to, and I don't want to say say pity because that's that can maybe be a bit insensitive to how people feel, but he has this drive, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And that drive, if I looked up resilience in the dictionary, you would just find the word Alex, because I really do think that this man, you know, he has demonstrated the textbook definition of what we all aspire to be to be resilient and just keep going and mm-hmm. I, I love it I wish I could channel that honestly I think it's fantastic Look, I, Alex uh, thank you for being our guest on this week's show uh, just super inspiring and best of luck uh, ahead uh, with all of your all of your challenges on the next show we're going to be talking to Reagan Reagan is from Texas has multiple sclerosis and is taking part in a relay run across the entire United States of America having never ran up until about a year ago and if all the nights close in there's warmth and hope within and if all Close in, come home.